Welcome to another intriguing episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. And Elizabeth McLaughlin is a very talented actress who has a terrific backstory and some tips to share with us about monetizing her creativity. Diving in and being as brave as you can and not worrying about whether or not you're doing something right is what I've learned. I think that's probably the greatest gift I ever got. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? It is absolutely a team sport. You can't you can't do this by yourself. You can't live in your own little world. I can't really act in a vacuum. Even if I'm alone on the stage, there are people lighting me. There are people helping me dress. There are people directing me, putting my makeup on. You have to be able to work with them. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone. This is your host for Monetizing Creativity, Marvin Polis. And joining me, of course, is your other host, Fred Keating. We are in Vancouver, Canada. Of course, Vancouver is one of the biggest film and production locations in the world. We are at the offices of Lucas Talent. Why are we here, Fred? We're here because Elizabeth McLaughlin was to be found here. And Elizabeth McLaughlin is a very talented actress who has a terrific backstory and some tips to share with us about monetizing her creativity, that is, earning a living while pursuing her passion. So, Elizabeth, thank you so much for inviting us into the agency and uh, and introducing us to the folks you did. My pleasure. Now, Marvin, you may remember when we took that tour of the Vancouver Film Studios with J.P. Finn, the producer of uh, The Flash. Right. Well, Elizabeth has appeared on an episode of The Flash, and uh, in addition to a number of other television and film credits. Her list of credits is impressive. And her list of training credits are impressive. Some of the things I want to get into with Elizabeth today, in addition to her skills as a performer, are those other sources of revenue she's created for herself by virtue of, well, exploiting her talent, really, and uh, and monetizing it. You bet. Elizabeth. Please call me Liz. Thank you, Liz. I will. What brought you here to this agency? That is, where did you start and when did this passion for performance or the entertainment industry, how and when did that start? Uh, If you believe it or not, I was uh, a dancer, dancing student, and um, I saw a film, and it was a very magical film for its time, and I was curious about creating something like that, so I took a drama class in high school, and they gave me a scene from Shakespeare, my very first Shakespearean scene from uh, Merchant of Venice, and that was it. I was hooked, loved it. So that's where it began. That film is, uh, you probably never heard of it, a little thing called S- Star Wars. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, that little thing called Star Wars, yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember Shakespeare writing that one, but... Uh, no, but the thing that, it, that promoted me into yes. taking the drama class. I was just kidding. Liz, so high school, and then did you... When did you start training, other than a class that you might have been taking in high school? Uh, did you uh, study this in university as well? Oh, yes, I did, right from the, from the get-go. While I was in, in my teen years, I did outside classes as well, other than high school. But then when I graduated, I went to the um, University of Alberta in a BA program, and I took a, every possible class I could take, 
hoping to get into a BFA program, which I eventually did in Toronto. Uh, I went to York University and I took my BFA there. What were you hearing at the time from people who were either encouraging you or not encouraging you to pursue a career in acting? Oh, I heard lots from both sides, mostly positive. Um, there were people who worried about me going into it who would be, you know, discourage me as kindly as they could. Of course, it always comes from, from a place of love. I can remember my father asking, what in heaven's name, how on earth are you going to make a living with a degree in theater? So Liz, how did you get traction in your career? Well, once I graduated, I just auditioned. I just auditioned as much as I possibly could. I did all sorts of different things, and that's how... I got started. What did you learn about the auditioning process? Took a long time to get it right. Uh, I think I was lucky a lot, but diving in and being as brave as you can and not worrying about whether or not you're doing something right is what I've learned. I think that's probably the greatest gift I ever got. It was late in my career because I worried about all those kinds of things a, a lot, but just dive in, give it your heart, and that's what they want to see. I'm looking at your resume, Liz, and I, I see the uh, uh, the acting credits, but I also see teaching mm-hmm. credits. You're, in fact, you you teach at the Vancouver Film School, where we have visited often. Uh, what do you teach there? I teach voice and speech. And Langara College as well. I did teach at Langara. I had a, a couple of classes uh, there. That was uh, a little while ago. That was in the Continuing Studies program. There were also credits here in directing and credits as an assistant director. Mm-hmm. And when I see the little paragraph on special skills and other training, it reads from, I mean, I've heard of lifelong learning, but this is some, clown courses, mask, combatant, rapier and dagger, quarterstaff, hand-to-hand combat. Good heavens. Yeah. Quarterstaff is my favorite. <laughs> Where do you learn that sort of thing? Well, in my BFA program, my my graduate program, I went to graduate school in Washington, D.C. in 2006 and 7. A bit late in my life, but it's a program for mature actors. And couldn't graduate without being certified in five different combat techniques. So that's part of the program. And it's about precision uh, of body, precision of thought. That's where that came from. And I loved it. And do these special categories, do they roll over, overlap, complement each other? Absolutely. They absolutely complement each other. They feed everything I do. The exactness of some of those things, the exactness of the combat, the exactness of the Pilates classes that we had to take are about keeping your whole instrument toned and ready. It's the readiness. And that's what that's about. So it overlaps that way. All of the voice work has fed how I make a good deal of my living right now. So the voice work that I've done my entire career is now allowing me to teach. And I also take other workshops and and things like that, just to keep up on the different techniques and that kind of thing. One other point I want to make before Marvin comes in with really intelligent questions uh, is that on this resume, I see, of course, time and money going out in terms of your training, not only at university, but in all these private uh, courses that you've taken along the lines there. I see money coming in. This series is called Monetizing Your Creativity. So in terms of uh, the teaching, which I assume they're paying you for, and the credits as a performer, as a voice artist, as a director, as an assistant director, but there's a little uh, list here that says other. 
and it has president of the board, the Raven Spirit Dance Company, and the co-producer of the Free Will Players Shakespeare Company in Edmonton, the president of ACTRA Edmonton, and a member at large in ACTRA, which is, of course, the uh, Canadian equivalent of SAG, Screen Actors Guild. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that kind of giving back to the industry that Where's the currency there for you in terms of uh, the time you take to take active executive roles in uh, not-profit associations? Oh, that's a that's a wonderful question. The uh, my ATRA presidency in in Alberta was quite a long time ago, but a lot of the time in this industry, especially in the film industry, you are creative within yourself, but you get to set and you feel a little manhandled. You feel a little like the creativity that you bring to the set is sort of shoved to the side. Not always, but sometimes. And the food that you need as an actor isn't always there. You feel a little helpless sometimes. You want to make your world a better place, if you can. So, as you say, give back. Uh, when I was in Alberta, I was asked to run for the board of, of ACTRA at that time, and I did. Uh, at some point, we lost our president, and I was asked to fill in for that, which I did. And it's interesting to learn all of the business that we as performers perhaps don't pay attention to. We hope that somebody else will take care of it. But there are people working really hard to make sure that I get paid, that I don't get hurt, all of that kind of thing. So I do like to to give back. Uh, the Raven Spirit Dance Company is a wonderful company that's based here in Vancouver. I was asked to sit on that board a few years ago. I'm still there, and a wonderful group of, of women who create and run the organization. And terrific opportunities to network. Build your own personal and professional support group. And Marvin and I have talked to many artists who seem to agree it's a team sport. It is absolutely a team sport. You can't, you can't do this by yourself. You can't live in your own little world. The creative force in life is a communal thing. Uh, As for an actor, I can't really act in a vacuum. Even if I'm alone on the stage, there are people lighting me. There are people helping me dress. There are people directing me. There are people putting my makeup on. All wonderful people that I would be lost without. And you have to be able to work with them and enjoy being with them. So Now, Liz, what are your thoughts on the necessity of an actor moving to a big market? Well, you have to make a living. And I was finding it increasingly more and more difficult to do so where I was. And I came to Vancouver. I actually came here to do one of the courses that I've taken, the the Canada's National Voice Intensive. And I got a job in television. And I went, oh, hmm, maybe I'll try this for a while. And that was about 18 years ago. So things bring you into places that you don't expect. But I stay here because I can make a living. Now, once you get traction, how realistic is it for people to give up their day job and work at acting full time? Extremely hard. Extremely hard. You have to eat. It's an expensive place to live. All of these places, Los Angeles, New York, Toronto, Vancouver, very expensive places to live. So you must be working. You must be bringing in income of a certain level. Otherwise, you're not going to eat. And gosh knows, I've been there. Some people can, and I say go for it as much as you can, but at some point in your life you are going to have to eat. I wouldn't close any doors. 
as a word of warning, I just wouldn't close any doors. But you've also opened, I mean, part of the reason we wanted to speak with you was because you've opened so many other doors. You've stayed in the game. You've stayed present. If you're not actually acting, Mm -hmm. then you're teaching. But you're teaching subjects relevant to the industry that you're in. And if you're not teaching, then in fact, uh, you are volunteering and, and marketing even inadvertently or informally, keeping yourself on people's radar screen? Well, I'll tell you, I'm a terrible waiter and I can't type. So I needed to find things that allowed me to make a living. And I was allowed to make a living because I thought if I can't do exactly what I want all of the time, then I want to do things that are creative. I want to be in my medium as much as I can and make money. I know a number of young people who would love to train in a university setting, but say there's no way I could afford to go to university. Several of them have gotten jobs at universities in a variety of occupations that then give them the staff benefit of taking classes uh, at little or no cost. There's, I, I believe there's always that where there's a will, there's a way. Mm-hmm. I think so. I found a way to go to graduate school. I found a way to go to to uh, get my BFA in Toronto, you know, and I was a farm girl from Alberta who didn't have a lot, but I I made my way there. I ate a lot of muffins and coffee on the way, but I, you know, I didn't get to, I wasn't eating well, but I got there. Do you know but what I mean? But in addition to that, when you felt the need for more professional development, you upped stakes and relocated to Washington, D.C. for that special program. You've gone to New York Mm -hmm. to learn how to be a better teacher of various art forms, not the least of which is dialect coaching. What is the role of the dialect coach? What is the role of the dialect coach on a set? Yes. There are many aspects to that. Just in my experience, I support the actor in maintaining the accent that they have chosen for that particular show. So I'm there to support them, help them through that. There are many other aspects to being a dialect or an accent coach on something. Some people who are linguists, and I'm not one of them, who create languages and dialects for shows. Uh, For example, some of the languages you hear in the new Star Wars, things like Klingon. There are people who create those languages and then dialect coaches, accent coaches, help to maintain them with the actors who need to speak them. I really want to talk about this at some length. This is intriguing. We should do an episode on that whole topic. This is a real niche, but we've often said that when people want to get into the entertainment industry, to do an easy way in, if there is such a thing, is to follow the passion that you already have. Something you already do well is often your passport into the industry. But this is such a... Like speaking Romulan, for instance. Yes. Well, I'm not going to write here now. We don't have the time. Next episode. Okay. Uh, But Elizabeth, would you be... Now, she's laughing because she's thinking he can barely speak English. How's he going to do the Romulan? I want to go at this in some length. Do you mind terribly if, again, we call you back, impose ourselves on you again and uh, and explore this because this is something that not even people in the industry would think of as a potential career path unless they actually happen to either have or see or know a dialect coach. I want to explore this. Let's do it. Happy to. But the important takeaway for me 
from this conversation with Liz is the way that she has discovered and then sharpened a variety of, of distinct and specific skills that are still in the game, still in the, the stadium of the entertainment industry, but have generated revenue for her, a living for her, so she's not dependent on just how many acting jobs or got to get that teaching contract. Or She's really built an infrastructure for herself that guarantees she gets to stay in and play in the game. And that, I, that ought to be one of the cornerstones of, of this series, pal. You know what one of the takeaways for me is? No. You love long goodbyes. <laughs> okay, fine. Say goodbye, Fred. Goodbye, Fred. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.